Hi and welcome to the Crime Pod. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Sam. So happy Halloween! Happy Halloween weekend. Hope you're all doing something fun and socially distanced inside. Um, Not inside, you can't do it inside, hon. Well, yourself you can. <laughs> so then you wouldn't be socially distanced. <laughs> Right, okay, well, we're doing something fun. Um, so this week for Halloween, we're going to throw it way, way back. And this is the furthest back case we've actually ever done. For this week, we're going to look into the case of Birkin Hare. start this by telling you who William Burke and William Hare actually were because a lot of people know the story and they know their crimes but they actually don't really know much about them so I'm going to start from there tell you how they got to Edinburgh and then obviously tell you the the real reason why you're all here to listen. Um, So (laughs) William Burke was born in 1792 in Ernie County Tyrone which is in Ireland. He was brought up pretty middle class him and his brother Constantine had a really good and comfortable upbringing and they decided to join the British army when they were teenagers he served in the Donegal militia and then he met and married a woman from County Mayo where he began to settle, live married life. We don't actually know her name. I can't find it. Maybe somebody does. Somebody obviously does, but I can't find it. Um, but unfortunately, this marriage was actually short-lived. As in 1818, there was an argument, not with her, but with his fa- like father-in-law over land ownership, you know, things they argued about back then. And he decided basically he just deserted his wife and family and he moved to Scotland and become a labourer there working in the Union Canal. He settled in a small village which is called Madison which is just near Falkirk and he set up home with a woman called Helen McDougall who affectionately nicknamed Nellie and they became husband and wife and settled and seemed pretty happy for everything that I can read. But after a few years when the work in the canal finished they moved to a place called Tanner's Close which is in Edinburgh and they moved there in about, it was November 1827. Because this is so far back, I don't have a lot of specific dates. The same with their birth and stuff. I just kind of know certain things. But yeah, they became known as hawkers, which basically means they sell secondhand clothes to like poorer locals, basically. But Burke then became a cobbler, which basically he earned about a pound a week, which back then was pretty good. But he was known from being like quite a good humoured nice guy that people wanted to know and I think Burke oh. was pretty popular in Edinburgh at that time. Now William Hare, we actually don't have a clue when he was born. We know it's between 1792 and 1804 but we actually have less information about him and he was born in County Londony which I believe is in Ireland as well. Oh yeah, it's in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so so yeah, he there's also three different places he could have been born so there's so little information about him. But in 1828, he gave his age as 21. So we don't actually know if that was true either. But also, there's so little about his early life. It's so... We don't actually know. We know that he obviously lived in Ireland and people believe he could have worked as an agricultural labourer before he came over to Britain. And then he also worked on the Union Canal for about seven years before moving to Edinburgh in the mid-1820s where he worked as a coal man's assistant. He also lodged in Tanner's Close and basically... He stayed with a man and his wife, um, Margaret Laird, in like the Westport area of town. However, the man that he stayed with died in 1826. So there's rumours that Hare just married his wife. Oh, which... Fair. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, we honestly 
don't know a lot about and we know that hair is quite different. He's pretty illiterate, he's quite uncouth, quite quarrelsome, violent, which is so interesting is to wonder how these two paired up. Yeah, like I thought when you mentioned the Union Canal and then back to Edinburgh, I thought, oh, this is it, this is how they, they, they were pals. Yeah, you well, know, no. but... So it's in 1827 that basically Burke and his wife go to Pennycook in Midlothian and basically work in the harvest where they meet here. And the two men become friends. And then basically when Burke and McDougall come back to Edinburgh and move into the Tanner's Close Lodge, which Hare now runs. And the two couples basically became friends and then acquired this reputation of basically boisterous behaviour, just drinking all the time, just causing issues, which is so interesting. So that's how they kind of all became a group. Mm-hmm. But to set the scene more, in Edinburgh at this time, like, this is still when people lived in the high closes. This is still way back in the time of, you know, Edinburgh wasn't a wealthy city. But it was starting to be because it had, like, it was kind of infamous, well, famous at the time for, it had several, like, pioneering anatomy teachers. So this was becoming, like, basically the city of, like, science. So, like, Mm -hmm. so it became one of the leading European cities for anatomical study alongside, like, places in the Netherlands and Italy. Like, this was way up here. So the teaching of anatomy and, like, the study of, like, surgery, for example, was becoming so popular and we had loads of anatomy teachers over here like Alexander Monroe, we had John Bell, we had obviously Robert Knox, I'll speak to you a bit more about later. Mm-hmm. There were so many more people coming over here and obviously the teaching of anatomy, you need bodies, mm-hmm. you need cadavers as they were called and the demand was increasing as the more the science developed. Now basically a Scottish law determined that suitable corpses on which to undertake the dissection were those who died in prison, suicide victims and the bodies of fondlings and orphans. So, like, do you know, th- that's okay. It's not okay. But that's the only bodies they can kind of use because you can't donate bodies to medical study back then. I don't mm-hmm. think it was really a thing, whereas, like, certain people no, do that can. now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But back then as well, like, loads of people were dying anyway. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it was so kind of, there was mega poor areas mm-hmm. of Edinburgh, so it's not like, you know, mm-hmm. they were lacking. So yeah, but with the rise of the popularity of medical training in Edinburgh, they basically needed more bodies and the legal supply basically failed. So grave robbers, or known as resurrection men at the time, began an illicit trade. And basically what they would do is they would dig up like graves and mm-hmm. donate the bodies. Well, not donate, they'd sell the bodies to medical science. And they'd take, obviously this, uh, ridiculous, I need to say this was obviously illegal. And um, <laughs> it was classed as a criminal offence um, as it was taking the property from the deceased, the property being their actual body. Now, this is the funny part. Well, it's not funny, but stealing the body was not an offence as it didn't belong to anybody, but because they were in things like coats and stuff, that would class as an offence. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So oh, disturbing a grave. the body was the issue. <laughs> yeah, which you'd think, no, no, the body wasn't the issue, so disturbing a grave. Now, the price per corpse (laughs) differed, but depending on the season, really. But it was about £8 during the summer because it brought on quicker decomposition and about £10 in the winter. Now, when you think about it, like we said earlier, that Burke, when he was doing a good job, earned a pound a day. That's £10 a body. Oh, yeah, you'd be rolling in the money. Yeah, exactly. So the demand 
kept getting greater and the lower temperatures meant they could store more corpses longer and undertook more dissections with them. So basically by about eight, the 1820s, the residents of Edinburgh, they're protesting about this because grave rum is becoming quite a big thing. And basically families are using loads of different techniques to deter the thieves. Like guards are hired. So there actually used to be people that worked in like, you know, Grey First Kirkyard and stuff like that. And basically just... That would not be me. No. I would be petrified. Imagine in a graveyard at night and if you see someone trying to steal a body, but please stop doing that. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's why they built all the watchtowers in the cemeteries. Like, you know, the ones we see now, that's why they mm-hmm. were built. Some families hired, like, that's where the large tone, like stone slabs come from because they were placed over the grave. So you can't get into it. Oh. Another one put thing, like, I actually haven't wrote it down, but I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have. It's a mort safe. So it's basically a massive iron cage that surrounds the coffin. So you can't get into that either. So, like, there was loads of different ways that they basically tried to stop people, you know, stealing the bodies. Mm-hmm. And this is where Birkin Hare didn't have an idea but this is what they kind of took advantage of because they decided like instead of digging up the dead they're just gonna start killing the living basically because well you know it's still illegal (laughs) but it's obviously because they're doing so much to prevent this do you know yeah and i guess it must be easier to kill someone than keep digging up a grave it's you know heavy work not that i approve of it (laughs) no exactly this is where it kind of all begins. So on the 29th of November in 1827, a man called Donald, we don't really know anything about him, he basically dies in Hare's boarding house of a thing called dropsy. Now, I didn't know what that was, but it's basically like your body swells with liquid. Okay. Which, so he died basically before receiving a quarterly army pension while owing £4 of his rent back. So here's moaning to, to Burke about the financial loss they're having because their tenants died. Um, how <laughs> inconvenient. But because this guy had no family or anything, they decided to sell this, his body to one of the local anatomists. So a carpenter gave him a coffin and this was paid for by the local parish and basically left the pair with the open coffin and they just took out the money, uh, the body, sorry, and hid it under a bed, filled the coffin with like bark and stuff and we sealed it. After dark, on the day the coffin was removed for the burial, they basically took the corpse to Edinburgh University, where they looked for a purchaser. Now, according to Burke's later testimony, they asked directions to Professor Monroe, but a student sent them to Dr Knox, mm-hmm. who worked in Surgeon's Square. Now, they dealt with juniors when discussing the possibility of selling a body. It was Knox who arrived at a fixed price of about £7.10. and ten shillings. So Hare received four and a half, I think, and Burke took three and a half. And basically Hare took more because he had to cover the loss from Donald's rent. Obviously, they still going on about. Yeah, um, get over it, Hare. And basically, as they were leaving, Burke said in his confession, as they left, one of Knox's assistants said to them that the anatomist would be glad to see them again when they had another to dispose of. Oh, now, no. Yeah, so I'm like, oh, God. So... I'm going to go back and just tell you a little bit about who Knox is, because that's another name that I think we know so much about, but actually it's like you just know the second name. So Dr Knox was, yeah, he was an anatomist who had qualified as a doctor in 1814. Um, he contracted smallpox as a child, so he was actually blind in one eye and quite badly disfigured. Um, oh, wow, I never knew that. Yeah, see, there's so, there's so many things with that where you just know like the basics of what you need to know. 
he undertook service in the army as an as actually as a physician in the Battle of Waterloo, eighteen fifteen, and then basically was posted in England during the Cape Frontier War, and then in South Africa, and then eventually just decided to settle in the hometown his hometown of Edinburgh in the eighteen twenties. In eighteen twenty five, he became a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh, where he lectured anatomy, and he advertised as like a full demonstration of fresh anatomical subjects. So like I think loads of people like they said that over like 400 students would come to each of his lectures like I think that was like the lecture you wanted to see do you know mm-hmm. so yeah he was a very big kind of person in the anatomy world in Edinburgh at that time and this is who they've gone to to sell their body so that's who he is okay um, so the following bits I have to say there is no yet again I've said it before because of the times there's no like this isn't like this isn't 100% in correct order. They killed quite a lot of people, but I don't know for sure in what order they killed these people. Um, Burke made a, a couple of confessions, but every time he made different sequences for his murders, and they like chop and change, so I'm not 100% sure, but most people agree that the first murder was on January, in the January February 1828, when there was a man called Joseph lodging in the house, or a girl called Abigail, we're not 100% sure. But they think it was Joseph, more likely, where they basically used a pillow to smother him when he was sleeping. But they basically had loads of drinks with him, so it was easier to do because he was obviously quite drunk. And they basically put a pillow over his face, suffocated him. Well, they gave him like loads of whiskey, suffocated him, and then they take him to Dr. Knox and get their money. Now, this method's obviously a bit messy trying to suffocate someone with a pillow, so they basically came up with something that's known as the Birkin Hair method, which I'm going to try and describe it. Like, I know how to do it with my hand, but I'm going to try and describe it. So, basically, they put, like, the two, your two, like, your, not your thumb, but your first and second finger around the nose and the thumb under the chin and pushes it all together. And then Burke would lie across the chest and that's how they would kill him. Oh. Basically, Burke's weight on top of them, stifled movement, and basically they couldn't make any noise. Well, it also prevented the chest from like expanding should any air like slip in, and basically here's like grip. I was like, do you know, in that time, that was like practically undetectable for like forensics. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not when you could do DNA and stuff, and like there's no sign of a struggle. There's not any like marks or anything. Even with like the pillow, there'd be like a fight. Whereas that's so clean done. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yet again, the next two victims, we don't actually know. So we believe it was a woman called Abigail Simpson. Then it was followed by an English male from Cheshire, who we don't know his name. And then it's basically just lodger after lodger that are travelling in. And I know it sounds horrible not given direct names, but there's so many. But it was all, unfortunately, very similar events. They would give her or him drinks. So normally it was whiskey because I was big in Edward at that time. They would get them so drunk, then they would basically pass out, then they would kill them, and they would sell them to Dr. Knox. And that was basically a pattern that just kept going. It was just, like, it's crazy. Knox is realising these bodies are pretty fresh, but, like, just isn't saying anything, but is paying more for it. I'm actually not 100% sure how many victims Birkin here had, but I don't want to, like, I know we've mentioned this in previous podcasts, I don't want to, like, not give them credit but each so there's I think it was around 16 I want to say 16 to 17 but each story is so similar 
and it was basically people that didn't have a lot of friends and family who or didn't tell anyone where they were going who would basically kind of fall into this fate which was awful but the final victim which was killed on oh my goodness halloween 1828 no way that's why we did this. Um, yeah. There's a woman called Margaret Doherty. Now, she was a middle-aged Irish woman and basically, as always, Burke lured her into this pro- uh, to the lodging house claiming that his mum was also a Doherty from St. Mary of Ireland and the pair just basically started drinking. And then at one point, Burke left Doherty with Helen McDougall while he went out to buy more whiskey. But actually, to get here. So they had two other lodgers at the time. Anne and James Gray, and they were a bit of an inconvenience to the men, so they paid them to stay at Hare's Lodging for the night, claiming Doherty was a relative, and basically the drinking continued in the evening by when Margaret Hare started drinking, so it was about 9pm, and basically the Greys returned briefly to collect some clothing for their children, and so Burke, Hare, the wife, and the Doherty all drinking, like singing, dancing and stuff, and at some point during this night, Burke and Hare have an argument and then during this, they murder Doherty and put her body in a pile of straw at the end of the bed. And then the next day, the Greys return and Anne becomes suspicious when Burke doesn't let her approach um, a bed where she'd left some stockings. Um, and when they're left in the house alone late that evening, they find Doherty's body in the straw, basically. And you can see like blood and saliva on her face. Um, and on their way to alert the police, they run into McDougall, who tries to bribe them with the offer of £10 a week. But they also wow. refuse, being like, now nah, we're going to the police. So the Greys report the murder to the police, but Burke and Hare remove the body and get it to Knox, like, ASAP, basically. Um, the police search, and they've located Doherty's bloodstained clothing hidden under the bed. But Burke and his wife give complete different times for Doherty's departure from the house, which obviously they're like, okay, you don't even know what time she left. So they're all taken into the police station for questioning. But early the following morning, they go to Knox's dissecting room where they find Doherty's body... And James Gray identified her as the woman he'd seen. So Burke, Hare and his wife were arrested, basically all denying any knowledge of this event. So as I said, there's about 16 people who were murdered by Burke and Hare. And he, uh, Burke stated in his statement that he and Hare were genuinely in a state of intoxication when the murders were carried out. And they could not sleep at night without a bottle of whiskey by his bedside. So I'm like, don't say you were too drunk. Just no. Know what you were doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. On the 3rd of November 1820, a warrant was issued for the detention of Burke, Hare, and their wives. And the four suspects were kept apart and statements were taken, but all their statements conflicted. Like, basically, all of them didn't make sense. Um, and then a police surgeon actually examined Doherty's body, and two forensic specialists were appointed, and they reported it was probable the victim had been murdered by suffocation, but it could not be medically proven which backs up their method, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But on the basis of the report, the Burks and the Hares were all charged with murder. And as part of an investigation, he interviewed Dr Knox, who asserted that Burke and Hare had watched poor lodging houses in Edinburgh and purchased bodies before anyone claimed them for burial. And the police basically said that Knox was deficient in principle and heart, but did not think he had broken the law. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, cool. so I'm like, okay. So the police are pretty sure murder has taken place and at least one of the four was definitely guilty. But obviously they're uncertain they could secure a conviction because, as I said before, they'd done this so well. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and they did believe that other murders had been committed, but obviously there's no bodies. 
and you know the news started coming to the public's attention newspapers published this and basically people started assuming that all the missing people had actually been victims so like people's friends would go to the police and identify their friends clothing that were found in the house and basically like they saw like a local baker basically came forward and said that one of the missing people's trousers was being worn by like Burke's brother's son do you know what I mean so it was like loads of little stupid things Mm -hmm. so yeah another warrant went out on the four suspects again Lord Advocate, which was called Sir, which was called, he was called Sir William Ray. Basically, followed a regular technique, and he focused on one individual to extract a confession from, and he chose Hare. Now, on the first of December, he was offered immunity from prosecution if he turned King's evidence and provided the full details of the murders. Right? Okay. Because he couldn't be brought to testify against his wife, she was also exempt. So Hare made a full confession of all the deaths, and on the fourth of December. Formal charges were raised were laid against Burke and his wife for the murders of three victims. Okay. So Knox faces no charges, nothing, because Burke. Well, he's to the quite police, a high up person. Isn't yeah, he? and it's basically Burke's statement basically exonerated them, and public awareness of the news grew and like this spreads everywhere. So basically, the trial begins at ten a.m. on Christmas Eve in eighteen twenty-eight for the High Court in Edinburgh's Parliament House, and the case was heard by the Lord Justice Clerk David Boyle. The court was full, and the doors opened at 9am, and everyone just gathered in. There was about 300 constables on duty that day. The crowds were outside the Parliament. The case ran through the day and the night the following morning, and they basically questioned about all these different things. Burke's defence lawyer protested that his client was charged with three unconnected murders. They were all come out in a different time, a different place. They obviously fought their case for them and several hours were spent on legal arguments about this, blah, blah. In the early afternoon, Burke and McDougall, so his wife, pleaded not guilty to the murder of Doherty. And the first witnesses were called from a list of 55 witnesses. Really? And the witnesses included William Hare and Dr Knox. Oh. As witnesses. Oh, that is sneaky, So basically, sneaky. not all witnesses on the list were called, and Dr Knox and three of his assistants avoided being questioned in courts. And one of Knox's assistants, David Patterson, who'd been the main person Birkenhair dealt with, was called and confirmed that the pair had supplied the doctor with several corpses. But they didn't really say, like, oh yeah, we knew they were killing them, do you know what I mean? And in that evening, Hare took to the stand and gave evidence, and under cross-examination about the murder, he claimed that Burke had been the sole murderer, and McDougall had twice been involved by bringing them back to the house. Hare oh. stated that he had assisted Burke in the delivery of the body, but nothing to do with the killing. So after Hare was finished, his wife entered the witness box with their baby daughter to kind of get the crowd's sympathy. Oh, the baby no. had whooping cough, yeah, I'm annoyed at the sound. And basically, every time the child would have a coughing fit, it would give her time, so she'd get asked like a question, and the baby would cough, so you could see her obviously like, thinking about it. And That's like, like the baby was part of it. She was like, like coughing. Yeah, yeah I'm like, yeah. She like, she's like, cough, 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 cough. So basically, <laughs> the final witnesses were two doctors, and they both said that they suspected foul play, but there was no forensic evidence. Basically, which is right, like nowadays you'd have so much evidence, but yeah, there's absolutely no evidence. Mm-hmm. But um, so there was no witnesses called for the defence. But yeah, the prosecution summed up the case. And at 3am, Burke's defence lawyer began his final statement, which was two hours. Wow. Yeah, so the jury retired to consider the verdict. 
8.30am on Christmas Day. Imagine being called for jury duty on Christmas Day. I'm just saying. Nah, can't go. I'm 50 minutes later, it delivered a guilty verdict against Burke for the murder of Doherty and the same against McDougall. But the same charge, but it was not proven. Like, so... so it's that hard thing where it's like not proven to basically, it's like a Scottish law thing. You've got like not proven and like, I don't really know, is it like not guilty? But yeah, so the same charge was against her, but they found her not guilty. Against his wife? Yes. So they both had the same trials. So Burke was found guilty, his wife was not. Okay. So I'm going to do a you there, and I'm going to read... um, Love it. Something from the judge. So it basically said, Your body should be publicly dissected and anatomised, and I trust that if it's ever customary to to preserve skeletons, yours will be preserved in order that person keep in remembrance your atrocious crime which is still yeah it's in surgeon's hall mm-hmm. i've seen it <clears throat> did they mm-hmm. not make a book out of their skin or something yeah yeah so yeah i'll, I'll get to that so yeah so basically Sorry. his wife was released but basically she went there was loads of angry mobs shouting at her and i think she had quite a tough time so she was kind of hidden oh in... tough shit man <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. She was hidden in basically a place in Fountain Bridge for her own protection. But basically people kept finding out about it. And then she actually was kept in a police station and she actually escaped. Like she wasn't held under there, she just ran away. And they actually don't know where she is. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, they don't actually know where he is. Like where she is, she just ran off and lived her life somewhere. Burke kept making confessions when he was awaiting his death and on the 16th of January 1829 a petition on behalf of one of the victim's mother and sister was brought forward protesting against Hare's immunity and it was actually given lengthy consideration but it was rejected by a vote of four to two. Really? Yeah so Hare's wife was released on the 19th of January and travelled to Glasgow and found passage back to Ireland while she was waiting for the ship she was recognised though and attacked by a group of people but she was basically given shelter in a police station and then she was escorted onto a Belfast bound vessel and no one knows where she went either. Burke was killed while hung on the morning of the 28th of January 1829 in front of a crowd of possibly 25,000 people. Wow. Now there was people at windows, people were paying to get on scaffolding and on the 1st of February his corpse was publicly dissected by Professor Monroe in the Anatomy Theatre of the Old College and loads of people wanted to see it and during the dissection which was two hours long Monroe dipped his quill pen into Burke's blood and actually wrote on like the wall this is written with the blood of William Burke who was hanged at Edinburgh this blood was taken from his head wow his skeleton was donated to the Anatomical Museum of the Edinburgh Medical School where it's still there to this day and Mm -hmm. his death mask and a book said to be bound with his tan skin can be seen at Surgeon's Hall Museum up until this day Um, which is yeah, I've seen it. Hare basically was in custody and it had been extended for his own protection, but he got out on the 5th of February 1829 and was assisted in leaving Edinburgh in a disguise by a mail coach to Dumfries. At one of his stops, it was recognised by somebody and basically informed fellow passengers and this spread news of a large crowd who attacked him. Like As always, and the police arrived and arranged for a decoy coach to draw off the crowd and Hare actually just escaped through a back window into a carriage which took him to the town's prison for safekeeping. So do you know what I mean? Like, people are trying to get them all. Yeah. Um, Hare was taken out of town, set down on a road and basically instructed to make his way to the English border. And, as always, 
we never heard from him again. Dr Knox, though, has refused to ever make any public statements about his dealings with Birkin here. Are we surprised? And a common thought in Edinburgh, which I believe that he was culpable in the events. And he knew what they were doing. Oh, like, yeah, but it was like say... towards science, you know, he yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was fine with it because he was like, well, you know, it gives me stuff to work on. I'll just yeah. turn a blind eye because yeah, I'm resigned. not doing yeah. the murdering. Exactly. So he resigned from his position in the Surgeon's Museum and he left Edinburgh in 1842 and he went and lectured in Britain and mainland Europe. While working in London, he fell foul of the regulations of the Royal College of Surgeons and was debarred from lecturing. He was removed from the roles of Fellows of the Royal Society of Edinburgh in 1848 and from 1856 he worked as a pathological anatomist in the cancer hospital until his death in 1862. Wow. And that is the story of Birkin here. Nice. I like it. It was much more like... I know you get told this all the time when you're growing up about Birkin here, but you mm-hmm. don't know like the ins and outs. Like I didn't know they came from Ireland, and Did you, you know? know, no. But I guess everyone really came from Ireland, so I can't be too shocked. <laughs> True. Yeah, exactly. But no, it's that's the thing. So, like, I think. I knew quite, not as much as I did when I started researching it, but I did know a bit more about it. And there are so many parts that, like, people, like, you like, you know, everyone will admit they like knowing about the murders and stuff, but you actually don't know who these people are. Like, Dr Knox, do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much about him that nobody, like, knew. And I do, I find it quite fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I like it. But it's one of those stories, I think, that, I think no matter the time, years and years to come as well, it'll be like, everyone will always know it. You I know? think as well for Edinburgh, because so many of these places you can go see. Mm-hmm. You can go see like the graveyard, you can go to Surgeon's Hall, you can actually see works, um, like the book and Annie's Skeleton, mm-hmm. which, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For Edinburgh Open Day, because yeah, yeah, don't you get paid? <laughs> you can go yeah, in but for no, free. I would advise anybody to go and see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, definitely. It's one of those things I feel like you need to see to actually be like, oh my god, it's actually true. It's mm-hmm. not another. Yeah, no, definitely. Go, go yeah. see it. That's something you can do on your Halloween mm-hmm. weekend. Yeah. Well, don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe Cancel in a that. couple of years' time. But Maybe just listen thing. to this podcast. And yeah. Google it. Yeah. Like the thing is, like obviously because we made his skin into I say we, I mean they we, made did his you skin <laughs> yeah, into like a book cover and everything. It's like that just sums up a lot of old dark Edinburgh because Edinburgh's like so big for like, you know, black tourism because we've got the vaults, we've got the ghosts, we've got yeah, the spirits, yeah. we hung, drawn and quartered people, we killed people, we hung witches, we drowned them, we were very kind of like gruesome people. Yeah, yes. So yeah, that's a really interesting story about Birkin here and obviously like we said, Edinburgh's got a lot of history dating back to oh, goodness knows when, the 1300s and etc. So I would say if, if you're keen for it, um, and obviously, if you guys, the listeners, want mm-hmm. to hear more about Old Edinburgh, we could always do an episode on the witches or some more stories and things. Just let us know, message us or talk to us if you know us in person. Um, just let us know, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because some of it's quite interesting. A lot of it, you can kind of be like, well, <laughs> did this happen? 
But yeah, yeah. But I like to no, believe it no, did. I think it'd be quite cool to do a red and blue one. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, happy Halloween. I know. Have a great Halloween. <laughs>